what does being stalked feel like? Oh, it feels like you're being haunted. That's what it feels like. It feels like there is a presence with me at all times. And it's just like the looming potential danger at all times. He he promised on the phone during some of these threats to rape me, to choke me, to murder me. From WBZ Chicago, this is The Trouble with Shannon Kaysen. I'm Shannon Kaysen. On The Trouble, I talk to people who've been in serious trouble, or maybe they're still in it. The person I'm about to talk to has serious trouble with a stalker, and she's been open about that trouble in an unlikely place, on stage. Uh, what am I going to tell y'all about? Oh, I moved here. This is this is sad, but it's going to be funny, so just take this walk with me. Um, I moved here partially for my career, partially because I have a very, I have a stalker back in Chicago, which is not funny, okay? Rebecca O'Neill is a comedian. She's open for comics like Janine Garofalo, Hamill Burris, and Maria Bamford, who's one of my favorite comedians. I love Maria Bamford. But offstage, Rebecca was sharing more than jokes with the people who followed her on social media. In long posts on Facebook, she opened up about the stalking and harassment an ex-boyfriend was putting her through. Cut to now, and I'm talking to Rebecca at a very defining time in our country. Harassment scandals rocking Hollywood, the media, and state houses across the country. Now a New York Times investigation alleges Weinstein used his power for more sordid ends. A new investigation by the New York Times is exposing alleged sexual misconduct at Ford Auto Plants. One of the president's most trusted advisors, Rob Porter, resigned amid allegations by two ex-wives of verbal and physical abuse. The White House hammered this afternoon by questions about President Trump's past alleged sexual misconduct. Millions of women across the country and around the world sharing their experience with sexual harassment and abuse online using the hashtag MeToo. Rebecca's story is among the many of everyday women who suffer predatory abuse. And she's among the many women of color who for so long have seen their stories ignored. The entire time I sought help from the police, they were dismissive. They didn't take me seriously. I've had cops try to hit on me while I'm filing police reports. It's just, um, I don't know if the system is set up to protect women, honestly. The journey that brought Rebecca to this moment, that story begins in Chicago. I know Rebecca from Chicago's stand-up comedy scene a few years back. I used to go out to the comedy open mics just to get on stage and embarrass myself. <laughs> Embarrassment can be liberating, but Rebecca was pretty good at it. I'm a black girl from the South Side named Rebecca O'Neill. I have the name of a step dancer from the South Side Irish Parade. I don't think we ever even officially met, though. Like, shook hands and met but we would see each other at open mics on Chicago's north side and we would be the only black people in the room and there's like this acknowledgement without even shaking hands it's like a nod I see you we followed each other on social media and from there I watched her career grow whenever I dress up I wear makeup I wear kind of a lot of makeup because I, I love hair and makeup if I were to snatch this weave out right now you'll be like I didn't know Steve Harvey was on this show like shit's crazy 
Y'all laugh too hard, frankly. Um, I'm a little hurt. I'm a little hurt. I'm a little hurt. It was through comedy that Rebecca first met the man who would eventually terrorize her life for almost two years. They saw each other at comedy shows, but they didn't start dating until they met somewhere else. Tinder. We had seen each other at shows. I was on the dating app, and I had seen him, like, in person. And so when he messaged me, I was like, oh, yeah, human that I know from Earth. Great. (laughs) And... Yeah, that's how that started. <laughs> <laughs> you saw someone you knew. You're like, ah, I know them. It's white. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little hesitant to, like, if there's no real-world connection with somebody, I'm definitely hesitant to, like, meet an Internet stranger. But I thought that because I had seen him previously, that was, like, one thing that made him check out. Turned out to be wrong about that, but that's how he got me. <laughs> I was attracted to him when I saw him before, but we didn't speak. He he said that he'd been afraid to say anything when he saw me perform, so he messaged me when we matched on time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a cute workaround, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First impression, what was your impression? My first impression. <laughs> my first impression was not my typical type, but... He seems nice, so mm-hmm. let's. I'm gonna hear him out. Let's hear him out, and mm-hmm. I gave him a shot. <laughs> what was the first date? Tacos and whiskey. Very chill. <laughs> um, I got some tacos. We got some drinks at Coles, like my favorite. Coles is like my Cheers. I go there for everything, and we hung out a lot and started dating pretty quick. Yeah, dating serious pretty quick. Yeah, like exclusively. What was the early parts in your relationship? What was that like? In retrospect, things are colored a little differently, but at the time, I thought we had a lot in common, like a fishy amount of things in common. But at the time, he loved... He's a comedy fan, which is true. He does like comedy. is very knowledgeable about it. And one thing that really made him stand out is he was very understanding of this lifestyle, which um, he, he seemed to get because in past relationships, you know, I'm out all all the time at night. Yeah. All my shows are at night. It's not that kind of thing where, like, you come home and your girlfriend's there and you guys are going to be together at night. So he seemed to get that, and I was very excited about that. He also read a lot, which I thought was great. I was—you know what? I was very relieved to be dating someone who I could connect with about more than, like, pop culture. Like, he, he was a smart person, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed— being in a relationship like that at the time. So we spent a lot of time talking about some of my more heady pursuits that I really didn't get into with some of the uh, idiots I was dating <laughs> before him. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. this is like a port in a storm. This is great. My ex-boyfriend was white. I took him home to meet my family over the holiday season. My family is black because of how genetics work. And um, I, my boyfriend was, he's, he's white and he's a Jewish man. So I took him home, like, I'm going to get some jokes this holiday season. This is going to be hilarious. Uh, but my family was totally cool about it, and I was really disappointed. Um, if anything, they overcompensated for the cultural differences. We have this Christmas brunch every year. My family's tiptoeing around the Jewish issue. They're whispering the word Jewish, which is inappropriate. And they're like, Rebecca, we know your boyfriend is Jewish. And those people have dietary restrictions. I'm like, don't say those people. Black people have been through a lot. Y'all should know that. What was the first hints that uh, something wasn't quite right? Man, um, so we got together fall of 
2015, and by January, everything was kind of—I knew things weren't right. We had never argued before January, and leading up to—this was the 28th. The weeks leading up to this day, there were a lot of arguments, some so bad that his neighbors were knocking on our door asking me if I was okay. So I knew that things were getting bad, and I was planning to leave him. Mm-hmm. And this day, I think he knew all of this, and uh, his birthday is just the day when it all came to a head. So walk me totally through that day, because I think that that was a day that was real definitive. That was the day. Did you plan that day? Did you, like, walk me through the total day? It all came to a head at a friend of mine's album recording that I was opening for, who now writes for a TV show. He's doing great, and he he was a fan of this guy. And over the course of the show, I definitely saw his condition deteriorating, and I was keeping an eye on it, but I did not know how bad it was going to get. So how bad did it get? Well, I had a second show that night that he got too drunk to take me to. But I was like, I can't get in the car with you. If you're having trouble getting out of a parking garage right now, I'm not going to let you drive me to my show. I'm going to take an Uber. And instead of being like, hey, cool, I know you got to get to the show, take an Uber— it turned into a championship-level gaslighting session where somehow him getting too drunk was a character failing of mine. At the second show, he was calling me nonstop, leaving very threatening voicemails. Come back or else come back where I'm going to kill myself. If you break up with me, I'm going to kill myself. He threatened suicide so many times I've lost count, and I was going to go back. I was living with my mom at the time, and it was like half with my mom, half with him. And I went back to the apartment, because I'd never dealt with this before. Like, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't engage with someone in that state. But Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, I was in love with him. I wanted to make sure he was okay. I knew he was drunk, so I thought he was just in in a bad state. I went there, and he immediately tried to take my purse so that I couldn't leave or call for help. He started threatening me that if I broke up with him, you know, he didn't know what he would do. And my understanding of that was to himself and and myself. What was your reaction to that, like him saying that? I mean, at the time, I was terrified. I was, Mm -hmm. luckily it was cold out. It was January. I had my coat still on. My phone was in my pocket. So he basically yelled at me for so long and blamed everything that was going on on me, which is you know, typical of the type of manipulation I was dealing with. But I knew I had to get out of the situation, so I tried to leave the apartment. He blocked my entry. When I got out, his fingers, I I mean, I think about this all the time. His fingers were on the other side of the door trying to pull it open so I couldn't leave and I couldn't close it behind me and create just some sort of barrier between us. He chased me down the stairs, chased me out of the apartment, And I just kept running. I ran until I didn't see anybody following me, and I called the police and told them that my boyfriend pretty much was going to kill himself if I didn't return. So that's how that—that's how we broke up. (laughs) Coming up on The Trouble, me and Rebecca talk about how the breakup with her ex was just the beginning of a nearly two-year nightmare. It was just very much apparent to me that I don't look like a victim, and he doesn't look like a perp who would hurt me. And everybody treated us like that. They would look at him, they would look at me, 
and officers, I would be crying, like, please arrest him. He's at my house. He'll come back. And, and they didn't. January 28th, 2016. A lot changed for Rebecca that crazy night of their breakup. After the chaos, the police arrived at her ex's place. She found out the next day that when the cops got there, things hadn't settled down much. The next morning, I got a call that was a follow-up. And the officer told me when they arrived, he was belligerent. He tried to fight them physically. He tried to harm the police officers. And he was still threatening suicide when they arrived. So they saw fit to commit him for 72 hours. She even called his job to help give an excuse for his absence. I didn't know what was to come at the time. I was just afraid for him. I was afraid for myself. I spent the next day in Ubers looking for his car because it had his insurance information, and I knew that if he didn't have that, he'd be admitted into county mental health holds, which I did not want for him. In the days and weeks that followed, Rebecca says she was simply decompressing, trying to process what was, for her, the most drama she ever had happen in a relationship. It was only a week or two after the breakup that Rebecca and her ex started texting again. He told her that he was getting help and seeing a therapist. By March, she says that she felt comfortable enough to see him in person and once again have him in her life. Of course, on a trial basis. I was doing this out of concern. I was doing this because, again, I, you know, I thought he was just experiencing some mental health issues, and I didn't want to abandon him for that. Like, I've dealt with depression, and mm -hmm. I thought it was something similar to that. Her ex's behavior got worse. Not long after the trial basis, the friendship also soured. It ended one spring morning in a moving car. That day, I think he took me to a beauty supply store because I wanted to get, like, some hair for some look I wanted to try. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the whole ride there, he is harping on our relationship status. Like, I'm doing all this stuff for you. I'm trying to show you that... I'm improving and that I'll never do that again. Like, what's the deal? Why don't you want to get back with me? And it was to the point where he wasn't looking at the road. He was staring at me, yelling in my face, speeding hmm. down a residential street. And I'm like, please let me out. You're scaring me. I don't, you know, you're behaving in the exact way you're promising me that you won't. Um, and he wouldn't let me out the car to the point where I had to jump out. These women who were sitting on their porch came over to me to see if I was okay. I was. I, I, I like, ran to a, a gas station where he pulled up, got out yelling at me, and, uh, and I knew then that I could not have this person in my life platonically or in any way whatsoever. So it's done. The relationship, the friendship... Jumping out of a moving car would seem to make it plain. At least for Rebecca, she thought it was the end. And she was becoming one of the bright lights in Chicago's local comedy scene. She found a new place, started a new day job to pay the bills. She was even swiping on dating apps again. But that's when Rebecca says that the stalking started. 
with what seemed like just another random match made online. So at the time I was on OkCupid, I was single, I wanted to date. I got a message from a man named Stephen Lucas, who was a, I was a bike messenger at the time also. He worked at a bike shop. So I got a message from this bike boy in Logan Square, and I'm like, I live in Logan Square, and I love bikes. So I sent this guy my number. He stood me up at a meeting at um, Township. Okay. And I was like, wow, block you forever. Or I just, like, stopped replying to him. And he started threatening me instantly, like horrible threats, the worst type of threats a woman could want to get, threats of rape, threats of murder, threats he would come to my show. I blocked him. I thought it was over. So I posted the the screenshots of the text, like, there's a dude who stood me up on a date now threatening to rape me, guys. Just keep your eyes peeled. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't speaking to my ex at this time. He shows up at my house in response to that, claiming he wants to protect me. I wouldn't let him in, obviously, because the last time I had seen him, he was, you know, I had to jump out of his car and he chased me. So he proceeded to yell at me, threaten me. He was drunk. He threw rocks at my house and I had to call the police again. Hmm. Later, I found out that he was Stephen Lucas and he engineered the threat in the first place. So, But at the time, I'm like, wow, this is so crazy. I have two guys threatening me, but it was just him the entire time. He made two more fake profiles to get my numbers after I changed them from harassment he was doing but it took me three fake okay cubic profiles to wise up to that trick and he had a lot more tricks also <laughs> so he was steven lucas steven lucas but then he did it more times with this uh oh yeah he made walter saltzman uh <laughs> and he's so my ex is white i'm black he came up with the first two times white guys because i guess that's he thinks he knows my type he got me with the bike boy uh-huh. the third time he tried a black guys just switching up his tactics which i'm like i'm equal opportunity but i only responded to three of the profiles and i'm wondering how many of the other messages i got were other attempts not helping matters was the response by police Rebecca called on them frequently, but she says they weren't much help. Case in point, that night her ex threw rocks at her apartment. They witnessed him throwing rocks at my house. They told me he was just drunk and emotional, and they sent him on his way. They gave me a police report for criminal trespass, but declined to arrest him. And I'm like, so when you guys leave, he could just show back up, and then I have to call y'all again, or what's the protocol here? They didn't seem to care at all, so um, he left. They left. I was scared. I've been pretty much scared since that day. <laughs> and um, about a week and a half later, maybe two weeks, the front I came home and the front window of my apartment was broken out. So, And there was no legal precedent for him having done that because he didn't get arrested that night. He's white. You're black. Yeah, he's white. His father's a judge. I'm a black girl from the south side of Chicago, and the system treated us accordingly, honestly. So, um, You think that factored in? I'm almost 100% sure it did. When... Uh, uh, the first time I walked into a police station to follow a harassment report against my uh, stalker, while I was given the description of him to a cop who fit the description, um, I was like blonde hair, blue eyes, short cropped hair, balding in the front beard. The officer didn't have beard. He goes, wow, it sounds like I'm your type. And then tells me I must be a hell of a woman to have this guy crazy for me like this while I'm trying to persuade him to take me seriously. So... What was your reaction to that? Oh, oh, try not to snap. Don't snap at this police station, Rebecca. You didn't snap? Oh, no. I'm like, because here's what I've also learned. I'm there for help, but they would love to arrest me. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they love to arrest a black woman for snapping at a police officer instead of helping her when she's begging them to do so. Hmm. Um, Every step of the way, 
the vulnerable in these situations have been treated with the least amount of sensitivity I've witnessed in a situation like this. Um, just there's no—and not that grown people need to be handled with kitty gloves or anything like that, but if you're in a position to protect and to serve, mm-hmm. it was extremely jarring for me, and, and it was the last thing I expected to not experience any sort of feelings of protection or service from the people I expected it from. How often did you have to call on the police? Oh, God. Too often. <laughs> um, I walked into court with five or six police reports to help me get my order of protection. So at least that many times I, I've had to call the police. The last was November 2016. An incident where he chased me outside of a show, um, Beat Kitchen in Chicago, very popular venue on Belmont. He uh, he chased me outside of a show, did a U-turn, screeched, a whole bunch of people turned around. I ran for my life back to the venue. Um, a couple friends of mine who, who were comedians on the show went out, saw him waiting down the block for me. So it escalated from, you know, fake OK Cupid profiles yeah. to chasing me down the street. And that took about six months of just escalating, 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 escalating. I'm curious, okay, all this is going on, mm-hmm. and you still performing. Oh, yeah. How did that <laughs> affect your ability to perform? Comedy, of course. <laughs> That's, that, I'm, I'm still wondering about that. People ask, like, he's chasing you. Why did you still leave the house at night? Like, what were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> like, this is, a lot of things were going very badly in my life at the time, and comedy wasn't, it, and I needed that. Everybody, please, go crazy. I needed something. For your headliner, Rebecca O'Neill! That I could have feel like I had some sort of control over. Like, if I put my all into this, it will go well. Like, in the time I was being stalked, I got a TV show. I mm. got two weekly shows at Laugh Factory. I, my career kept going, and I, I really think that if I hadn't done that, I would be in much worse shape as a person than I am right now. So I felt it was necessary. Oh, I moved here. This is this is sad. but it's It was therapy like, for me. I talked about this me. on stage. I moved here partially for my career, partially because I have a very, I have a stalker back in Chicago, which is not funny. Okay? In the broadest, cutest terms. Get real high, watch sci-fi. But even that, that opened up some conversations that I needed to have. One night, he's cleaning up around the place. He picks up some of my hairs off a pillow. And at no point does he throw those hairs away. And I'm like, science fiction trope, this is the part where I get cloned, I'm about to get cloned, first black woman ever cloned, like what a dubious honor considering the circumstances, but I'll take it. Uh, here's the thing though, this is a weave, jokes on him, it's gonna be a motherfucking horse. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's gonna be a horse! <laughs> I try to present even the darkest material with some buoyancy, with some levity, so everybody's not sitting through the saddest TED talk of their life while I'm on stage, so. <laughs> Up next on The Trouble, Rebecca attempts to take her stalker to court. If you don't have, like, your stalker, a video of him holding today's newspaper on the phone, like, saying, hello, with this ID, I am blah, 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 and I'm calling to harass Rebecca O'Neill, you're kind of in a hard place. So it's December 2016. It's been about a year since they broke up for good, but only one month since the incident when Rebecca's ex chased her outside of one of her shows. Things have gone way left. 
beyond fake dating profiles and threatening phone calls to actual physical confrontations. So Rebecca decides it's time to get an order of protection for her safety. This isn't the first time she filed an order of protection. She tried to get one earlier in summer of 2016, but with no lawyer, her attempt failed. This time around though, she found help. She meets a lawyer at one of her comedy shows. This lawyer hears the pleading for help in her jokes and takes on Rebecca's case pro bono. But even with that help, Rebecca will spend the next 10 months going to court to prove her case. Usually, getting an order of protection doesn't take so long. Rebecca's case, though, was atypical. One reason why it took so long, her ex evaded coming to court for the first five months. Then he contested Rebecca's request for another five months. And when you have to go to court to get an order of protection every month for 10 months, the process can be draining, really draining. We requested, you know, text messages, emails, stuff like that, which is relevant to the case. They requested my phone number, which I had changed six times because of his harassment, my home address. I had moved three times, my social security number, um, even though part of the evidence of the case was that he purchased a key logger to put on my laptop and see what I was doing. My identity was stolen about three times during this stretch. So they're requesting this information hmm. for me to give to my stalker, which is harassing. And we had to file a motion of protection against their discovery questions, which the judge had to review for two months. So two separate court dates of the judge just going through their ridiculous requests, medical history, work history, saying inappropriate, irrelevant, irrelevant, inappropriate. Why are you asking this? Hmm. This is ridiculous. You're wasting time. So things of that manner, they were just throwing at me like, here's another month of your life that's gone where you don't have legal protection. At least one in six women in America experience stalking at some point in their lifetime. That's around 27 million women. 27 million. And that's just cases that get reported. Even court can be its own hurdle. And not just because of all the legal fees. Going to court can mean lost income if you're taking time off work, having to find a babysitter, or just coming up with money to get to court. The costs pile up, and many are left with a price too high to pay for a simple thing like justice. Yeah, I've been to court before, you know, mm, for other things. Yeah. And, uh... I sit there and I just watch yeah. the court cases as they kind of go through. And you saying you've seen hundreds of cases, and it's usually cases that's in relation to what you're there for, yeah. you know. So you're seeing a lot of domestic cases. Just a lot of heartbreaking stuff. Yeah, what was that effect on you? That effect gave me some perspective. If I mean, it was every time I had to go to court, I just canceled my show that night or just didn't schedule a show because it was just an emotionally draining experience. Not just me dealing with my case, which is enough, but just hearing other people and seeing how they're treated and watching bailiffs treat victims like trash, watching women who don't speak English and don't have citizenship be denied orders of protection just because of lack of understanding of the judge's questions, seeing 
women who were truly dependent on their stalkers be intimidated by them in court. Mm. People who have children with their stalkers. So while what I went through was horrible and difficult and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, I did learn by going to court every 28 days, I think, for 10 months that I was in one of the better positions to deal with this because, you know, I can post on Facebook and several thousand people can can come to my aid. And some of these women don't have resources, don't have family, don't have support systems. So that was my takeaway from court is that this sucks, but be grateful because these women don't have a free lawyer. These women don't have a TV station backing them up. They don't have any of this. Mm -hmm. That's what I took from court. It was a very depressing place. So describe the day you won. You won, correct? Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yes, I won. It was, oh, man. Okay. Um, I had some witnesses that were comedians. A, a great friend of mine I run a show with, uh, Bill Bullock, was there. Um, my mom came. She had been asking to come to court with me for months, but uh, <laughs> I told her what it was like and that she wouldn't just be there supporting me. She'd be there you know, taking in a lot of bad news for hours. Sometimes I'm there for three, four hours, and I'm like, Mom, I want you there the final day, but um, spare yourself. (laughs) Spare yourself this misery. So Mm -hmm. she came, and of course, my wonderful lawyer was there, and um, they tried everything. This is the day they wanted to avoid. Like, every all the tactics leading up to this point were to avoid getting to September 13th, the plenary hearing. Because they knew once in that room they didn't have a case, mm-hmm. so and that he would, you know, have to face this once and for all. So I think it was about ninety minutes. Uh, questions from the judge, questions from his extremely combative lawyer, mm-hmm. who was disrespectful to the judge. Like the judge was a black woman. My lawyer is a biracial black woman. I'm a black woman, um, and he was nasty. He was nasty. And it's the kind of nastiness that you recognize <laughs> that you just feel, it just feels dirty. Mm-hmm. He basically tried to get the order thrown out based on the fact that I couldn't prove some of the more, um, the, the digital and phone harassment, but the police reports I had, the witnesses I had, and um, uh, thankfully my stalker, um, when it came down to the window incident, which is what the judge cited in her ruling, he did say that he was there against my will and he threw rocks. And according to the Illinois anti-stalking and harassment statute, just that alone was enough for me to get my order. So, um, yeah, it was just 10 months for what a decision that took 10 seconds to deliver. And it's just a sense of relief that a problem that had been in my life for over a year was gone like um i i burst into tears i hugged my friends my mom is so grateful to my friends who were there who said what they saw in court to my lawyer it was a it was just a it was a great day (laughs) it was a great great day and i go with mostly comedians my mistake and they all make the same joke rebecca you got this white my ex was white he's still white and um so Like, Rebecca, you got this white boy chasing after you. You must have some bomb-ass pussy, which, like, is a really ignorant statement. You shouldn't say that to somebody who's gone through some trauma. But uh, here's the thing. I can't endorse that statement for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's very victim-blaming. It asserts that there's something I could do positively or negatively to, like, 
deserve the behavior I survived. Like, pussy must be bomb. Sure, chill, because I'm ready to say some dumb shit. And, uh... <laughs> Here's the thing, like, it's victim blaming, but also, like, the pussy is okay at best. The head is amazing. Get your story straight. Like, no. <laughs> know what you're talking about if you're going to talk about it. You sound dumb to me right now. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. So, on a happier subject. When somebody's open about something, I don't know how many shows, probably every show I tell, like, some real deep stuff about my life. Probably right. three people come up to me and say, hey, man, I'm dealing with... You know, they'll tell me mm-hmm. what something that they're dealing with. Like, what kind of responses have you been getting? Oh, man. Just women that I've, I've worked with for years, women that I know personally, some I see several times Inspiring a week. Inspiring them to come out? Have shared stories with me that if I hadn't spoke out about this, I would have never known they were experiencing, like... People from open micers to women who are literally famous on TV right now have shared with me stories of their stalkers. And they're telling me that the time when they happened, some of these people were stalked, you know, before Facebook was big or before everybody was on social media telling all their business. And they didn't even have that option um, to sort of put it out there like someone's trying to hurt me, everybody look out. And they told me those stories. Um, Just women you would never, ever, ever guess or ever think to even consider that maybe they went through something like this, told me, thank you for speaking out because there are so many women facing this, and this is so common. And just with social media, you can create a network of people who have your back. And I know every woman's situation doesn't look like that. And I know that there are a lot of women or people, whoever is, is being abused or harassed or threatened or stalked, you're not always in a situation where you do feel safe speaking out mm-hmm. because this person maybe has interpersonal power over you or local power. I don't know, professional power. I'm not, I don't know, but I'm really excited to be in a wave right now where um, predatory behavior is being exposed and people are facing consequences for horrible things they do to other people. So have hope. That's what I would say. Have hope. Things are changing. You're not alone. It definitely feels like it, but talk to somebody. Rebecca is now settled and starting over in New York. She's a New York comedian now. She's at Becca underscore O'Neill on Twitter if you want to follow her. And although she survived, grown, and lived in a new chapter, she says she still believes the harassment from her ex hasn't stopped. Well, I'm still getting calls now that I can't prove that that are him, and I don't care at this point. Like, he can call me every day if he wants to, but, like, I don't believe that these people know when to stop. Rebecca said there's a wave right now. Those who've been abused, speaking up, and sharing the brutal, honest truth. This wave makes me just want to shut up and listen. I listen to Rebecca. I listen to my wife. I listened to my mom, who I talked to the other day, and I'm finally at an age where my mom will occasionally tell me a grown-up story or two. She told me about the world she lived in and worked in for all her life. It's not my place to tell her stories, but the stories she told me weren't uncommon from all the stories I've been hearing. Sharing that vulnerability can be the hardest thing a person does. But like Rebecca says, It's important to talk to somebody, someone you trust. You can also reach out to your local healthcare provider 
or Domestic Violence Program or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, 7233. It's never too late to ask for help. The Trouble is a production of WBZ Chicago. I'm Shannon Kaysen. The producer is James Edwards. The senior producer is Joe Dassault. And the executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Our intern is Stefania Gomez. Thanks to the folks at Two Dope Queens from WNYC Studios. They were kind enough to let us use a clip of Rebecca's stand-up from their show. I'm looking for other stories of trouble. And I want to talk to you. Get in touch. We're at the Trouble Pod on Twitter. You can find me at Shannon Kaysen, or you can email us, thetroublepod at gmail.com. Tell me about the shit you got yourself into and how you got out of it, or not. Maybe you're still in it, I don't know. Subscribe to The Trouble on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these things. And make sure you give The Trouble your best rate and review. And do me a favor, try to stay out of it. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.